This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. I want to start off with a story because I do believe God is doing something in the spirit where he would like us to flow with what he's doing as a church. Lest we missed what God is doing in this season. Um, and then this story is, is a family story, uh, you know, uh, one of the benefits of being married is you begin to hear the stories of the other side of the family you're married to. Uh, I don't know whether there's a benefit, sometimes, it, you know. But um, this, this story has always interested me. I mean, the first time I heard it, I think I said, what? When my wife told me this story. But, you know, the story goes like this. You know, there's a, there's a, a family relation uh, who, uh, you know, in the pain and agony of labor while they were pregnant, uh, did some very unusual things. But maybe before I get to the story, let me get to the, why we get to tell the story. Do we get to tell the story because, you know, as, you know, in Zimbabwe, some of the names that we're given are very unique, and uh, they have to do with some of our suffering or the things that we've gone through. So, you know, there's a relation by the name of Mavu, you know, known as Mavu, which is sand, you know, for those of you that are joining us in live streaming, Mavu is Shana for sand. So upon inquiring why, you know, of all the names we could give a person, we would call a person Mavu, sand, uh, this story is told is that the mother of uh, our dear Sekuru Mavu was uh, every time she fell pregnant and when the time for labor and childbirth came, she could not bear the pain of labor and childbirth. She would begin to run, literally. And you know, these were back in the days when you know, people gave birth at home in the rural areas. And uh, she lost seven children this way because they would either literally fall and drop on the sand or, or something like that. But she lost seven children this way. And out of sheer desperation, uh, on the eighth pregnancy, you know, some may say new beginnings, they held her down so she would not run anywhere until she gave birth to Seguru Mavu. And that's how he made it. So... <laughs> I was thinking of that story, and, you know, it's not really a funny story, but I was thinking about it, and it, it relates to the way we carry ourselves sometimes as human beings. So the title of my message today is uh, The Insanity of Desperation and the Opportunity of Grace. Let's... Go to the beginning. You know, in humanity, crisis brings about a sense of desperation. And when we are desperate, we can do very crazy things. Like in the story I've just told. In fact, it almost seems like when we're desperate sometimes as human beings, we lose our senses. All thinking goes out the door. We put in jeopardy the very things that we desire. The very things that we have nurtured, have waited for, the very things that sometimes we've carried for nine months, we put in jeopardy. In a moment of desperation, in a moment of crisis, we almost lose our senses and go straight into self-preservation and suffer the consequences. Crisis is defined as a crucial point, a turning point in the course of something. Well, let's look at how God views crisis. If we go right to the beginning, the Bible says in Genesis 1, God created the heavens and the earth. And then it says this, and the earth was void and without form and darkness covered its deep. That meant that the earth did not look like 
what God intended it to be. So right in the beginning, there was crisis. But God's response to crisis was this. In that the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord hovered over the waters. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And he looked at the light and he said it was good. When there was no one to work the ground and bring heaven's governance here on earth, God responded to that crisis and made man, made you and I. Man's charge was to extend heaven's influence and rulership here on earth. And to do that, God put his very nature in you and I. So that we could do the very same thing he did when he saw crisis. He brought about order, substance, light, and he called it, it is good. So in God's eyes, subs, uh, crisis is an opportunity for his intervention. In man's eyes, and it was brought about but what happened in Genesis 3. Well, before Genesis 3, another good thing took place. In fact, when the crisis of man being alone on earth was there. The Bible says that God looked and he said, mm, this is not good. This is another opportunity for intervention. This is another opportunity for us to align things. This is another opportunity for the Godhead to get involved. This is another opportunity for God to step in and bring his order, bring his substance, bring his light. And God made a woman and he presented the woman to the man. And he didn't just say this one is good. He said this one is very good. You see, man was in perfect union with God, undergirded by the foundation of love and obedience. So, right from the beginning, crisis was normal to life. And man's mandate right in the beginning was to go about the earth, sorting out that which was out of order, to bring it into order as it is in heaven. And as man did that, as man subdued the earth, as man did what he was commanded to do on earth, exercised the same dominion here on earth that God had in heaven because he had the nature of God. We brought about order. So our view that crisis is abnormal is not true. Because right from the beginning, God made us with the very nature and capacity to sort out crisis and bring it into alignment with heaven. When men fell, and this is where things get interesting, and disobeyed God, there was a new twist to crisis. Because that brought about the death of the spirit of man and a separation from God. Man's eyes were awakened to his flesh and he became aware of his nakedness and the needs of the flesh. So, there is the first time we see in the Bible the introduction of pain and suffering. It had to do with meeting the needs of the flesh. Because now man would eat out of his sweat. The ground would not yield. Man would have to feed the flesh, clothe the flesh, please the flesh, take care of the flesh. Instead of working for God, instead of working to redeem and bring order on the earth as it is in heaven, man's focus changed. And he became aware of 
the nakedness of his own flesh. It is because of man's fallen state that we have pain and suffering. It is not God's will. Our sin exposed us to the prince of this world, that is the devil. When we are in the flesh, and when we partake of the flesh, our viewpoint of crisis changes. We view it from a perspective of suffering. We view it from a perspective of desperation, not from the perspective of the spirit, which is God, the way God sees it as an opportunity for him to intervene, to align earth with heaven. So when we're in the flesh, because the flesh is as unto death and the consequence of sin is death, God said to Adam, the moment, the day you eat out of this tree, you shall surely die. So mostly in our humanity, we look at crisis as death. In Shona, we say, kufakuri nani. When we're suffering. It didn't just start with the Shonas. Job, in his time of suffering, in his time of pain, said, oh, curse the day of my birth. It were better that I were brought in. Why wasn't I brought in as a stillborn? Curse the breast that nursed him. Jeremiah did the same. Esau, sold his birthright and said, what use is it when I'm dying of hunger? But that was never God's perspective of how we're to look at crisis. So God's viewpoint remains the same in spite of man being fallen. God's viewpoint of crisis is an opportunity for intervention. God's viewpoint for crisis here on earth is an opportunity for alignment with what's in heaven. When this all began, he made heaven and earth. And when earth didn't align with what was in heaven, he himself came down and began to sort it out. It was an opportunity for his spoken word to be spoken and bring order out of chaos. And God hasn't changed. God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. So even in the crisis of the fallen state of man, it's an opportunity for God's intervention. So when man fell, it was an opportunity for God to intervene through grace. Because what you and I deserved because of our fallen state was certain death. And God's intervention because of his great mercy and great love for us was to intervene through grace. Grace is the Hebrew word chen or Greek word charis. It literally means favor or to bend and stoop in kindness to another as a superior would do to an inferior. In God's benevolent action towards us, he stooped down in his kindness to reach out in our need so that he could convey a benefit on us. Grace is God's unmerited favor on us. We don't deserve it. There's nothing that we've done in our works that can buy it because our works are unto death after we fell. They're not unto salvation. So grace is God's enabling power on us. First Peter 5, verses 6 to 10 says this. I'll read it in the Amplified. It says, therefore, humble yourselves, demote, lower yourselves in your own estimation. 
under the mighty hand of God, that in due time he may exalt you, casting the whole of your care, that is all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, on, on him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. Be well balanced, temperate, sober, of sober mind. Be vigilant and cautious at all times. That the enemy of yours, the devil, roams around like a lion roaring in fierce anger, seeking someone to seize upon and devour. Withstand him. Be firm in faith against the onset. Rooted, established, strong, immovable, and determined. Knowing that the same identical sufferings are appointed to your brotherhood. The whole body of Christians throughout the world. And after, and I love this part, and after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the, the grace meaning the God of all favor, the God of all uh, uh, benevolence, the God who has stooped down to our level, the God who has given us enabling power in our suffering, the God who's reached down in crisis to help us. That grace, the God of all that grace, the God that looks at you and I when we don't deserve it and still has compassion on us, the God that cares for you and I looks down in all grace Bible says that he bestows blessing and favor. And he says, why? Because he's called us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Will himself complete, make us what we ought to be, establish us, ground us securely, strengthen us, and settle us. So our battle is to see what he sees. And we cannot see that when we're in the flesh. Because in the flesh, we view crisis as unto death. But when we're in the spirit, when we go back to what God made us to be, we see crisis as an opportunity for God's intervention. We see crisis as an opportunity for a restoration of godly order. We see crisis as an opportunity to drive out darkness and bring the light. We see crisis as an opportunity for God's will to be established here on earth as it is in heaven. And we are his agents. In that place, God says he restores you and I to what we were created to be in Christ Jesus. Because when we were created, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. Who was the Word? Christ. God is so desperate to make you and I what we ought to be. God is so desperate to restore you and I to who we are in Christ. You see, the flesh wants relief. And the insanity of desperation in a time of pressure, in a time of suffering, in a time of intense pain, and the flesh just wants relief. It'll do crazy things like running around and sabotaging a child you've carried for nine months. Oh, it's easy to point at that. But we have a lot of crazy things that we do. In a moment of desperation, a young lady will stoop and bow down to the sweet words of a man because her age has advanced. And she feels there's none to marry. Who will marry me? You see, the eyes of the flesh can never see what is spiritual. The flesh sees flesh. And the best of the flesh is flesh. And it stinks. I love Pastor Danny's story two Sundays ago. And if you don't have that message from Sunday night, get it. Because in all those certain crises that he went through, what was certain after he went through them was that God's hand was with him in the crisis. 
So here's what I want you to know. Crisis is normal to life. Crisis was there before we fell. When we were in the spirit, crisis brought about an opportunity for life to be brought where there was void, for substance to be brought where there was no form, for light to be brought where there was darkness, for goodness to be brought where there was no alignment with heaven. And ultimately, bringing heaven's will here on earth. After the fall of man, crisis came with pain and suffering. Without Christ, left to ourselves, without a savior, we become insanely desperate. Man is desperate for a savior. Man is desperate for one who redeems him out of crisis. Because man in his fallen state sees after the flesh. And the flesh only sees crisis as unto death. It cannot see the spirit, which is God's redeeming grace, in crisis. It would take a man coming out of his flesh and being led of the spirit to see God at work in crisis. That's why Jesus, as he was led of the spirit, the Bible says, for the joy that was beset, set before him, he was able to endure the cross. Why? He had the eye of the spirit, not the eye of the flesh. And for us to have the eye of the spirit, unfortunately, the flesh has got to die. And the flesh does not die quietly. It becomes insanely desperate. And our enemy, the devil, knows that. Whom and whatever we turn to in a moment of crisis when we become insanely desperate is our God. The crisis of the fall of man brought about God's redemptive grace through Christ. God's redemptive opportunity for grace came through Christ to restore all of us to who God made us to be. See, God had to have a plan. And that plan involved giving of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for you and I, so that whomsoever believed in him would not perish, but have what God promised from the beginning. So Christ had to come down and walk the earth in the flesh the way we walk the flesh, the way we've walked and attempted in the flesh, lest he would not be a high priest. And in every way, Christ was tempted in the flesh, in every way, Christ was, there were opportunities for him to be deceived of the devil because the devil twisted scriptures to try and manipulate him. In every way, the devil tried to intimidate him so he could shake off his identity. And here's the big one. He offered him a shortcut to his purpose. And that's where most of us find ourselves caught in a moment of desperation, we do the insanity of compromise. In a moment of crisis and absolute desperation, we do the insanity of trading our birthright for a bowl of soup. In the moment of absolute desperation, as Adam and Eve did in the garden, we become increasingly aware of ourselves. We become increasingly aware of our own nakedness. We become increasingly aware of our flesh and do everything we can to try and cover it. They took fig leaves to cover themselves. Oh my, fig leaves. Try and, try and cover yourself with fig. Insanely desperate. And these, were, these two walked in the glory of God. 
walked with him night and day in the cool of the day, in the heat of the day. They walked with God. But in their fallen state, they became insanely desperate. And that same thing has us all today. The enemy still comes and tries to deceive you. To tell you, well, this is what God says. The enemy who roars like a lion comes and tempts you. So that you may compromise. So you may take a shortcut. Shortcut is this. It's just a delay to making the way longer. When we refuse to go through anything, we refuse our identity in Christ. We reject the grace of God. This is, what, this is literally what we say. When the pressure hits, when the pressure comes, the Bible says his grace is there. Because God's whole mandate is to get involved in crisis. God looks down on heaven and says, well, that issue in Tendai's life does not line up with what we have in heaven. There's an opportunity for us to intervene. Tendai in the meantime on earth is saying, this is too pressurized for me. I need a quick fix out of this. So in between God's grace and the pressure of what Tendai is facing is compromise, is a shortcut. And once a shortcut and compromise are taken, we cannot fully partake of the grace that God intended us to walk in. We cannot fully partake of his enabling power that is supposed to be there to take us through what we are suffering. So in simple terms, to reject crisis or to seek your own way out of crisis is to reject the grace of God. Is to reject what God made intends for you to be is to reject Christ being formed in you. Hmm. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 to 10. He says, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassing great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take, to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. My grace is sufficient for you. My favor is sufficient for you. My unmerited favor, my enabling power is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So instead of running from crisis, huh, <laughs> we need to run too. Because therein we find what God originally intended us to be. Had there not been a crisis on earth, you and I would not have been made. Jesus, the Bible says, didn't stay seated in heaven from a high throne and say, do that, do that, do that. I'll save you from a high throne in heaven. Jesus came to the crisis here on earth. Jesus, as evidence of God's grace, Jesus walked in this flesh belittled himself from all the power he had, belittled himself, became human like you and I, came to the crisis. And the Bible says that by the things he suffered, 
he learned obedience. He learned the reverent obedience of God through the things he suffered. Jesus himself was tempted in every way that we are tempted. Jesus himself faced persecution like we faced persecution. But Jesus modeled who we turn to in crisis. He did not walk away from crisis. He walked towards crisis. Even when the crowd, when he walked the earth, was pushing him towards the edge of a cliff, he didn't walk over the cliff. He turned, faced the crisis, and walked through them. Why? He knew is that greater is he that's in him than he that's in the world. When we walk away, when we run away, when we take shortcuts and run away from, from crisis, we run away from grace. When we say we can figure it out all by ourselves, when we are insanely desperate for a savior and we're in our sinful state, when we carry on that way, we run away from grace that God intended us for us to have. God wants us to turn and face our crisis. Turn and face the circumstances that we are desperately weak, that we, we in ourselves do not have the strength. Turn and face the fact that we need a savior. When we turn and face our crisis, God's enabling grace is made available. Because God's mandate is to get involved in crisis. Get involved in that which is out, out of order to bring it back into heaven's order. So grace is the power that God through Christ gives you and I to make us like himself. In crisis, I'm not to run away, cop out, for his grace is sufficient for me. I should not be afraid of being weak because in the weakness of my flesh, his strength is made perfect. It is an understanding that Christ is being formed in the things I suffer. We meet with the grace of God through crisis. That's why the Bible in 2 Corinthians 13, it says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you always. Because without the grace that Christ walked the earth with, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, when we identify with him, raises you and I from every dead situation in our life. And that is Christ. But the reason we have that grace is because God loves us and is faithful. Even when we are not faithful, God is faithful. God is so desperate to intervene in our situations. We just need to be open to allowing. But he says you cannot do this without the communion of the spirit. Because the crisis that birth pain and suffering is of the flesh. If you are to see God's true intentions and if you are to see Christ... You need to be led of the Spirit. That's why the Bible says as many as are led of the Spirit, as many as received by the Spirit, they are the mature sons of God. 
Romans 5, verse 3 to 5 says this. Moreover, let us be full of joy now. Let us exalt and triumph in our trouble. You know, I, str- I struggled with that scripture. I think, you know, God, if you are such an understanding, God, how can I rejoice in my suffering? I mean, I, I was 14 years single in this church. 14 years. Burning. Took all your insults, your rumors. I'm reading this scripture, I'm saying, God, how can I be joyful? How can I be joyful in this? I mean, I started off in a cell. One of the pioneers in a cell in town. Everyone in the cell got married except me. So, you know, you, you start working with numbers. You say, well, 25. 25 is a good time to get married. 25 comes and goes, 30. Oh, you say, well, Jesus' ministry started when you was 30. Oh, 30, this is the year 2010, the year of breakthrough. Yes, 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 it's my time. No. 31 comes, no. 32, 32, oh, Jesus died. Oh, Father, may all that rubbish die in me. At 33, surely I'm going to get married. Surely I'm going to get married. No. In fact, that's when the rumors started going around in this church that I was gay. And it got to my mother. And you know, the evidence may have suggested it. Here I was, I was with no one. It wasn't for a lack of calls in the church or a lack of ladies. But I was suffering. And I'm saying, God, your scripture says I should be joyful in this? Lying in bed like this every day? And believe me, the shortcuts were there. The compromises were there. I mean, whispers from, oh, you know, Formulas were there. Ways to bring relief were there. There were were instances where, hey, no one would ever find out about this. Those were there. We can keep this secret, he whispered. Those were there. But God said, be joyful. So I said, what, what does this joyful mean? How do I rejoice in trouble? How do I rejoice in the pressure of affliction? How do I rejoice in sheer desperation, Lord? How do I rejoice in hardship? Let's read what that scripture says. It says, you've got to know that this pressure and affliction and hardship produce patience and unswerving endurance. An endurance, fortitude, develops maturity of character. Approved faith, what Dr. Makoni was saying. Has your faith been examined? Has it been tested? Tried integrity and character. And this sort produces the habit of joyful, confident hope in eternal salvation. It produces, when, when you have suffered a little while, when you've waited upon the Lord, when you have gone through this, it produces within you the character that's Christ-like. And as you begin to see his eternal glory, for the joy that was set before him, Christ endured the cross. That means he had to have an eye that saw God's eternal purposes while you're suffering over here. So God, help me see. Not with the eye of flesh, but with your eternal eye of your purposes. And that takes us back to the beginning. Because in the beginning, the eye of the spirit sees crisis as an opportunity for God's intervention. 
Seize crisis as an opportunity for grace. Seize crisis as an opportunity to get involved, for God to get involved in this situation. So there had to be a trade-off, even in me, from just looking at it from my own natural perspective, my own desire for satisfaction, my own flame, my, 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 to say, God, what is it that you see in this situation? I'm a mockery before your people. What is it that you see? Jesus went through the same suffering. He said, oh, if it were up to me, God, this thing would pass over me. Yet not my will be done, but your will be done. So this whole process of suffering, this whole process of the insanity of desperation is to kill the flesh in me. It wasn't about God keeping a woman away from me. Oh, thank God he did till the flesh was done. But it was about what God was doing in me. By his love and grace. Saving me from me. And until. I got to a point where I said okay. I've tried everything. Yet not my will be done. But your will be done. That was in 2010. I met this woman in 2011. And you know what? His eternal purposes are much greater than what I asked for. But along the way, there was plenty of opportunity to compromise. There was plenty of opportunity to take a shortcut. There was plenty of opportunity to fall down into temptation. Plenty. There was plenty of opportunity. And there were times I took things into my own hands. Because the pain was that great. I got up and ran with the baby in the tummy. But God says, having done all to stand. Stand therefore. Why? Because you and I do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We wrestle against principalities, rulers of this dark age. uh, Forces that are seated in the heavens. And what does God say? He says, ha, ha. Therefore, having done all to stand, stand. And put on the armor of God. You cannot put on the armor of God while running. Show me anyone that gets dressed running. You've got to have solid footing. That's why God says, David cried out, Lord, take me out of the muddy clay. Take me out of that which is slippery and put me on solid rock. Why? So I can put on the armor of God. So I can get dressed in this stuff. So I can put on grace. When we run, we can't clothe ourselves in God's grace. When we take shortcuts, we cannot clothe ourselves in God's grace. In fact, we frustrate and abuse grace. The purpose of grace is not just to save us from wrath and damnation, but to fulfill his original purpose, which he had in creating us, in making us in his image image and likeness. The original purpose was to have sons who have proven themselves faithful under testing, come to maturity in character, in which he could share with them as co-heirs the responsibilities of administering his creation. What an awesome responsibility to administer the creation of God. Elijah went through that testing. Elijah This is the insanity of desperation. Slays 450 prophets of Baal. This guy commands the rain to come, the rain to stop. This guy calls fire down from heaven and it comes. And then a lady said, stop it, I'm coming for you.
And he said, what? <laughs> Elijah ran for his life. And in that moment of crisis, the insanity of desperation, Elijah muttered the words, I'm all by myself. God has forgotten me. Really? Is this the same guy that slew 450 prophets? Is this the same guy that on his beckoning call, God called fire from heaven? Is this the same guy that called for a drought and God responded? Is this the same guy? Today, the insanity of desperation. So he got up and got on a good run. After he heard, stop it, I'm coming. And he hid himself. Till his natural hearing and his natural sight and anything fleshly in him were dealt with. Because his natural hearing was in the earthquake, in the shaking. No, God was not there. God had to retrain him by his suffering to hear the still, small voice. To once again see by the Spirit. So he could carry on doing by the Spirit what God created him to do. It's the same thing with us. This thing is not to destroy you. This thing we're going through is not to destroy us. It is so that we may see him and hear him like we're supposed to. Because unless we see him and hear him like we're supposed to, we cannot fulfill his mandate here on earth. Because the mandate is not won by power, it's not won by might. It's a mandate by his spirit. It was begun by his spirit when his spirit hovered over chaos and brought order. When his spirit hovered over crisis and brought calmness. When his spirit hovered over darkness and brought light. And he said it was good. So that's where we understand David saying, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Why? Because he had withstood some stuff and got into goodness. God's goodness is better than your goodness any day. When we learn to be obedient in what we suffer, it is a process of the dying of the flesh. The flesh brought about pain and suffering. Our own disobedience did that. And as we go through pain and suffering, have this at the back of our mind. My flesh is dying so that my spirit may be awakened. When we cut short what God is doing to deal with our flesh, we give the flesh longer life. Facing crisis and then overcoming it leads to great success. The Bible says that Jesus, in Luke 4, after he was tempted of the devil, it says when he came out of that, he came out in the power of his spirit. And listen to what he declared. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor, to preach freedom to the prisoner, to heal the blind, be close to the brokenhearted, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus comes out of his tempting, comes out of his trying circumstance and declares who God created him to be. 
Who God created you and I to be is on the other side of the things we're enduring. The things we're coming through. Because therein, we're encountering the opportunity of the grace of God. Therein is ripe soil for the opportunity of the grace of God. A new Zimbabwe, I'm telling you the new Zimbabwe is not in the hands of a man. The new Zimbabwe is in the hands of us seeing by the Spirit that our crisis is an opportunity for God's intervention. That our crisis is an opportunity for God's grace to operate in our life. Zimbabwe will not turn around by the arm of flesh. Flesh breeds flesh. You and I, I hope we're tired of going around this mountain. In 1980, we celebrated a hand liberating us of man. Look at where we are. May we open our spiritual eyes to know who the source of grace is. To know that enabling power does not come from the hand of man, but comes from the hand of God. May we know that this crisis in our nation is an opportunity for God's intervention. Not the intervention of the military, not the intervention of man. If they are doing it, they are being used by God. I serve one who is much greater. Our crisis is an opportunity for grace. The opportunity of grace is active and it displays the unconditional love of God. It means God is willing to meet us where we are. To overlook our deficiencies, our shortcomings. I love that. So his power can transform us to become Christ-like. I'm grateful for the pastors that we have in this church. They've modeled what it is to endure. They've modeled what it is to persevere. They've modeled what it is to see by the Spirit. May the same grace that's upon them be on us. May we be partakers of that grace. May we imitate them as they imitate Christ. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.